from the Servant Leadership Institute, and it's great to be sitting down once again with Art Barter. Good morning, Carol. Spend some, spend a little time with you this morning. Yeah, sounds Doesn't great. Doesn't happen all that often nope. anymore, huh? Sounds good. Um, and we're going to do a little bit more detailed look into your book, Art of Servant Leadership 2. Today we're going to get into the nitty-gritty of Chapter 3, which is entitled Empower Ownership, Not What You Think. And I'm curious about the not what you think aspect. (laughs) So we can dive in, but any opening uh, thoughts for us? No, you know, it's, it's, uh, we're recording this on, what's today, the 16th of December? 17th. 17th of December. So we're a week away from uh, Christmas and spending time with family and everything. So yeah, it's, Starting to get in the Christmas spirit, which is which is kind of fun. Yes, yeah. and it's it's intense out on the roads already, and yeah, it's oh, be time, fun. <laughs> time of year you fight for parking spots. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So let's go ahead and dive in, Art. Um, both Daytron and SLI, the two companies you own, are privately held. Um, can you explain to our audience how you and Lori feel about that concept of being an owner? Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because we don't like the word ownership. We just we just feel that we are the ones that are put in charge to be good stewards of the resources that are in each company. And you know, there are people that come in from public corporations and they think that we want to be called the owner. And you know, I talk about in the book that Owner, I think I need to get a crown, a scepter, maybe a robe. Um, <laughs> One of those nice ones with the fur trim. Yeah, have yeah. some bells go off when I walk in the building <laughs> in the morning. Um, and I ask people not to not to use that word, owner. I don't want it on my walls. I don't. That's not who I am. I'm art. That's who I am. And um, we like to have people feel like when they make decisions that they're making this decision that's best for the company, mm-hmm. not what is best for the owner. Mm. So we don't like the word owner or ownership because we just want to be looked at as part of the team. And that's a different concept, but it's, um, it's interesting when people, they, people need to adjust to that. Yeah. Yeah. And you have to give them that, that time to adjust and get them to understand. Lori, my wife, she loves it when people haven't figured out who she is for the first 12 months of work. And they find out and they go, Lori, Lori's married to Art? <laughs> and, you know, you can see stuff go through their mind and go, oh, yeah. oh, oh, my, you know. And, you know, Lori's down to earth. Um, she has a lot of manufacturing experience. So mm-hmm. she really has a place in her heart for people who manufacture products. And um, I have a picture at home that uh, she was part of the motor manufacturing uh, that was done at a previous company. 
and she's sitting in the middle of this five foot diameter uh, motor um, inserting coils into the motor and so she has a special heart so she doesn't mm -hmm. even want to be called art's wife you know I don't <laughs> even want to be people to know that I'm I'm uh, part of that team I just want to be known as Lori and, mm -hmm. and same thing with me just art yeah so yeah. It's, it's fun I can definitely see that in her after having worked with Lori and I think I was a boss at one point. Yeah, you were. You, yeah, you were exactly. Yeah, yeah you were her boss yeah. for a while, right? Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So it is. It is a very different um, kind of situation because you know she she always did just want to be a member of the team, right? Which yep. you know is is uh, commendable. So you've shared with us in the past regarding uh, meeting Ken Blanchard and the impression that Ken, that Ken made on you. But there was another event that seriously impacted you and convinced you that servant leadership was the path to follow. And I don't, I think, um, you don't talk about it as often no, as I you don't. used to share it. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think it's a really impactful story. Mm -hmm. And I think our audience would, would love to hear about it. Well, if I told the whole story, we need about four <laughs> hours, right? Um, yeah, you know, I met Ken in, in April of 2003 for the first time personally. But in February of 2004, we were part of a public company here in San Diego. And they were in the market for someone to acquire them. And they had another large defense contractor that was interested. So they came in, did some due diligence, and Daytron World was one of the divisions in that public company. 90% of our revenue was generated from outside the United States in places like Indonesia, Sri Lanka, Bangladesh, throughout Africa. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and, you know, these countries are pretty high on the corrupt, corruption list. And so the attorneys of the company that was trying to buy our company um, looked at where we were doing business and said, you can't be doing business in those countries without bribing people. So if you've heard of the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act, we call it the FCPA. It's a law in the United States that says you can't give anything of value in return for any business. Mm -hmm. You can't give anything of value to retain that business. And there's all kinds of discussions in the news today about bribery and foreign officials and, and all that kind of stuff. This is, this is a, a little bit below that because there's no politicians involved, except in our business, our, our customers are foreign government officials. So FCPA applies to that foreign government official. So the acquiring company thought we were bribing people. Um, they had a contact at the Department of Justice and they felt that an investigation was warranted. So they started an investigation. Um, I was called to the corporate office and had to sit through a, basically a three or four hour one-way conversation about how we had really messed up the reputation of the company. And I told the CEO at the time and the chairman of the board, I said, we haven't done anything wrong. I've been with the company since 97. We haven't done anything wrong. And <clears throat> so, but what's interesting is I didn't find out from them about the investigation. I, found, I got a call on a Friday night from an attorney in New York. 
And she says, is this Art Barter? I said, yes. She says, I'm an attorney. She gave her name. Um, and your company want, wanted me to call you and tell you <laughs> that you're a subject in a criminal investigation with the Department of Justice. And I said, okay, um, what does that mean? Well, a subject means that they don't know if you're innocent or guilty, so they're going to investigate you. So I was under mm -hmm. investigation, along with three other gentlemen in the company. Um, the three other gentlemen were all in sales. Um, and that started a almost an eight-month investigation. Now, I had pretty much been in a position where I was tired of the corporate world. But this one, Carol, this one cemented it for me because I spent four months explaining every transaction we did in that company, that division, for the previous five-year period. I had international reps around the world. I couldn't talk to them without having an attorney on the phone with me that I wasn't allowed to disclose to the person I was talking to. Hmm. We had 50 outside attorneys and accountants show up on our doorstep at the beginning of this investigation. Now, we had 72 people in the company, so they basically took over our, our company. Mm -hmm. They brought in their own copy machines because they didn't trust us to copy documents. They brought in their own people to copy the documents because they didn't trust us. The SEC felt we'd throw away proof, evidence, so we had to have a guard on our trash bins in the back of the building uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that garden stayed there for about six months so we were just bad people and you know what we didn't do anything wrong so we proved to him after about four months the head of the auditing firm came to me and said art we didn't find anything and i said well duh i told you that four <laughs> months ago that you weren't going to find anything and she said but i want to, you to know that this is not about fcpa and i said what's it about she says, the company that wants to buy your parent company sees a weakness in the valuation that my company was trying to get from the marketplace. And she said, they're looking for a better price for the deal. And I said, okay, how much are, do they want to save? And she said, $3 a share. And I looked at her and I said, so you're willing... My company is telling me they're willing to throw away 72 people's lives and their families for a better price on the deal because they were defending. Uh, now, they were defending their reputation. They were defending their valuation. And what was interesting, along the path, I was in the room with eight attorneys at one point, and before they started interviewing me, they told me, Art, I want you to understand these four attorneys represent the company that's trying to buy your company. These four people over here, we represent the corporate parent that you're part of. And out of the eight people in the room, nobody is protect, is here to protect Art Barter. And that's when I went, wow. So I have four attorneys from my own company that just told me they're not here to protect me. And they said, answer the questions, don't have the questions. It's totally up to you. I said, well, I haven't done anything wrong, so what's the questions? That meeting took place in Singapore when we were bringing all the reps in for, they thought, to meet the new general manager, which was me. Mm. And so I introduced them to eight gentlemen, and I said, I'll talk to you later, and I had to leave the room. 
They had no idea what they were walking into. I wasn't allowed to tell them what was going on. So <clears throat> after about eight months, they found out that we hadn't done anything wrong. And so the acquiring company said, we have to look at all the divisions of, of our parent company. And they found a, another division within the company we were part of that had some issues in Africa, had done some things that uh, they shouldn't have done, which led to three felonies and a $30 million fine. Mm. Now, at the end of all this, my parent company said, Art, we want to sell Daytron World. And I said, you guys have to be kidding me. You guys have been in the news telling everybody in the world that we're the, your problem. Mm -hmm. And so nobody's come out and said, hey, we didn't find anything at Daytron. You just thrown us under the bus. And he says, yeah, we know. We still want you to try and sell. So I made some phone calls to people I know. And nobody said, you know, they wanted to know, are you off the hook? I said, well, I don't have anything that says I was on the hook because I never got anything in writing. So I don't have anything in writing that got me off the hook. <laughs> so we got done with all that. My, you know, I've talked about Lori before. She could have walked when that call came in on Friday night. What are you doing? What? She believed in me and stood by my side during this entire time. No questions asked. Um, and my kids were too young. They didn't understand what was going on. They do today, but they, they didn't back then. And so at the end of it, I made an offer for the company. And I offered six and a half million. We were doing about 11 million in revenue at the time. And the CFO called me up and said, we can't accept your offer. I said, okay, what do you want? And let the negotiations begin, I thought. Mm -hmm. He says, well, um, we don't want you to pay 6.5. We want you to pay 2.7. <laughs> and I physically took the phone, banged it on the, <laughs> on the desk and said, how'd you come up with that number? And he says, well, we want you to pay book value. I said, my book value is 15 million on my books. He says, we know. I said, so how'd you get 2.7? He says, we haven't believed in your business for the last several years, so we've been writing it off behind your back. So FCPA, writing it off the value of my back, yeah. because you didn't believe in me and, and the people at Daytron World. And so we settled on a price, uh, substantially lower than the six and a half million I offered. The first month in business, I think we got $10 million in orders. Uh, four months later, we got our first uh, $36 million order from the U.S. government. And in the first six months of business, we paid uh, my parent company off. Now, Ken challenged me in my leadership beliefs. I was tired of being part of the public world where I had to give up my life and spend time away from my family. And then this thing happened with the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and not getting any respect from my leadership. I said, I'm done with this. I'm done. And so those two events led me to say, you know what? We now are responsible for the assets of Daytron World. Uh, Servant Leadership Institute didn't, didn't, wasn't in existence right. yet. And so we said, we're going to run this with a different leadership perspective. Ken challenged me to be a servant leader, and that's we started down that path, and we started learning together with the leadership team. So those two events, I, I threw up my hands and said, I've had it with this world. 
and we're going to do things differently. <laughs> well, it's like it's like having a huge neon sign flashing at you, right, with an arrow that says "Go this way." Oh because, yeah. Because I mean, those the actions of those people um, are such a just a huge proof that power leadership is. Yeah. Now I will tell you, the CFO. I have have a lot of respect for him. Um, he is the one that signed the deal. He's the one that negotiated mm-hmm. the deal. And the day we signed off on it, we had both signed it. He said, Art, don't waste this opportunity. So he knew there was value in this company. Mm-hmm. He said, don't waste this opportunity. I said, I said no, I won't. Um, and, you know, we've kept in touch and we shared with them some of the things we've done. Uh, very respectful of what we've done. Uh, what we've accomplished and mm-hmm. how we've given back to communities. and So that part, I've been able to prove to those corporations in town that, hey, you missed out. You missed out. Yeah. 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 Well, part of your process uh, in implementing servant leadership at, at Daytron was to transfer the ownership of the transition to servant leadership mm-hmm. into the hands of your leadership team. But your background was as a power leader. Oh, yeah. Yep. So what kind of challenges did that bring up for you? Well, I, I, I like to, in my talks, I go, I am a power leader. That's what I, I was trained over 20 years to be a yeah. power leader. And like everybody else, I don't like change. I do not like change. And it took me a while to realize that just because the leader of the company said, we will be a servant-led company. People just don't fall in to do it. <laughs> you did it as right? a power leader. And after about a year or so, I looked around, and there was like two out of 30 <laughs> leaders that were going, Crickets. yeah, we're in. Yeah, we're in. <laughs> and so um, I started to learn that I, I had to let the team be part of the definition of what servant leadership meant to us at that time. Mm-hmm. Not what we wanted to be. But what did it mean to the group of 30-plus leaders at the time? What did they think servant leadership was? And my biggest challenge was letting the group, you were in that meeting, Mm -hmm. right? I had to step back and go, you guys break into three groups. You come up with 10 characteristics of what you think a servant leader should be. And I couldn't participate in that. Now, up to that point, I was a leader in those meetings, mm-hmm. right? I was the leader, and I had to step back. I had to close my mouth, open up my ears, and really listen to what the team was saying. And what's important, if, if, if you write one thing down today, well, maybe a couple things today, people who you're asking to change, you have to lead that change with your own behaviors first. Mm -hmm. Uh, But you have to meet people where they are. So I couldn't take Ken Blanchard's definition of servant leadership and tell the the team you're going to be this. We had to come up with our own definition based on where we were at the time. And so the three teams came up with 10 characteristics. And then I had to step away a second time and say, okay, you three teams meet and you come up with one list of 10 characteristics of a servant leader. When we went through that, 
then we decided to do a 360 on everybody, mm -hmm. and that's another story. But I didn't start to realize until I, until I started to write about the experience that I looked back and said, that's when I transferred ownership in the culture change to servant leadership to the leadership team. And that's when I stepped out of the process, let them determine, you were part of the leadership team at the time, they created that, it was their definition. And what I didn't realize at the time is, hey, I, you have now defined it, you just made my job a lot easier. Now my job is to help build up from that standpoint and at value and help us get better at what we do. And yeah, yeah. You could yeah. go in then to leadership mode in the sense of, hey, team, this is what you defined. Mm -hmm. Is this what you're living up to? Right. Or as, you, as we're making these decisions, are they in alignment with what you've said servant leadership is? Right, right. So you become more of this this guide mm -hmm. rather than the dictator saying, you know, we're going to be this way and this way and this way and yeah. this way. It's interesting. When I do workshops today, mm -hmm. that's the first exercise I have that yeah, group of people do. Yeah, I was going to ask you do. about that. Yeah. Tell me what, one word, tell me what you think of when you hear the word leader. Mm -hmm. And we put that on the left-hand side of the board. Right-hand side, when we get done with that, tell me what the word serve means. One word. And we make two lists. And at the end, I say, you guys just made my job a whole lot easier for the day because you've just told me where you are, and you've defined servant leadership. And and what that does is people are afraid of that, that word servant leadership. Yes. They're afraid. And so in order to pass on ownership, you have to define what that word means. And for us, it was our motives. We want to help people. We want to help people. And so the, the motive has to be um, pure, as pure as it can be in a human environment, but it, we have to do it for the right reasons. Mm -hmm. um, so I go through that exercise and I start that off, and then my job as a facilitator and teacher is do the same thing, lift people up from where we started, and how can I add value to that? And that's what I started to do. I didn't know it at the time, but now I look back and go, I started at where the team was, I met them where they are, and then I helped build value from there. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting how sometimes you don't, you move in a certain direction, and it's only later when you're able to look and see more about what was going on. Oh, yeah. At, when you, at a deeper level. And that's, you know, um, we did a journal. And I will tell you what helped me remember the past and what we did and what worked and what didn't work. It wasn't all from my memory. It was from my journals mm. because I would take mm. the time to write down, hey, I tried this today. It didn't work. Yeah. <laughs> I tried this today. Here was the response I got. Um, and for me, that meant I could look back and see how I grew mm -hmm. and I could look back and see how the team grew. And I could look back and go, this didn't work, but this did. And so now I can pass on the things that did work for our team. And so it, it's important for leaders. I will encourage you to keep a journal because you'll be, you'll be able to see how your team grows as you pass the ownership onto them. Yeah, yeah. And which sort of leads right into my next uh, topic that I wanted to talk about that you talk about in, in Chapter 3, and that's patience. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, you said that patience with your people is very important during a time of transformation. And you add to that by saying that discernment is needed as you work with people. What do you mean by patience and discernment? And what are the pitfalls if discernment is weak, is poor as a skill? Yeah, you know, I I talked earlier about meeting people where they are. Mm -hmm. And in order to, to not, I wouldn't say clearly understand, but at least get an idea of where people are. Because, you know, with the person with the CEO's title, people aren't going to be transparent. Right. As much as they could right. with the peer. So you've got to discern when there's fear of talking in mm-hmm. front of somebody with three letters behind their name. And you have to discern when people are just telling you what you want to hear mm-hmm. versus those who are really trying to be transparent. So you've got to discern in your team by an individual basis where each person is. Mm-hmm. You can't expect the team to transform their leadership beliefs all at the same speed because it's a behavior-based uh, learning process. And so for 30 people, they're all going to transform at different speeds. So you have to have patience in that. Mm-hmm. And you want them to move mm-hmm. faster. And yet they have to be able to move at their speed in order for them to keep that ownership. And I can tell you about companies that we've talked to who want to do it overnight. You and I visited a company on the East Coast. And we did one day, three different levels. And we walked away going, this company's not going to do anything with servant leadership because they're looking for somebody to save the CEO's job. They were in financial trouble. They weren't doing it for the right motives. They were doing it to save their backs, their jobs. Yeah. And that's the discernment you learn when you're trying to change a culture. When we step into a a company like Datron that's been around since the 1970s, um, what we found out later on is it takes about eight years to change a culture Mm -hmm. in an existing company. Um, So you have to be patient with people. And you have to be patient with yourself because you're going to try changing your behaviors. You're going to fail. And you got to get back up, dust up. They'll stop your failures and move <laughs> forward and yeah. learn from them. And that's the part of the journal that really helped me is I documented where I didn't do very well. Mm-hmm. And that helped me learn. What, what am I supposed to learn from this? Mm-hmm. And how can I get better? Yeah. So part of empowering your leadership is also about getting out of the way, right? Oh, yeah. What does it mean for a leader who's working to be less of a control leader and more of a servant? You know, it's um, our what what we have defined as servant leadership within Daytron World is to inspire and equip those you influence. And what I try to get leaders to understand is once we've inspired them with a great purpose, mission, and values, um, now I'm going to equip them, and the values play in part part of that too. Where mm-hmm. you're going to equip them with here's how we're going to do it. Here's the guidelines, values. But once you've given them what they need, whether it's computers, printers, tools, equipment, whatever it is, you've inspired them and you equipped them. Now, the best way to influence them is to get the heck out of the way and let them do their job. If you've done your job to inspire and equip 
the people in your organization. Let them go do their job. And too many leaders believe that they are the experts in their field and they have all the knowledge and they don't let their people do their best work because they don't listen to the people who are doing that work in order to improve, right? They yeah, don't. well, yeah, and it's interesting because to me that um, is such a difficult thing. I mean, you may think you're the greatest servant leader in the world, right? but when you make that handoff and you have to watch, I'm getting nervous just talking about it, you have to watch somebody else do what perhaps you were doing right? or you have done in a certain way and you see someone approach it from a different perspective, maybe a new creative idea they might have, something like that, it's very difficult for the leader to get out of it. Back away, right. So you've been in some of the leadership meetings uh, a while back where I would get passionate about a subject. Mm -hmm. And in our world of Daytron world, we use the word passion instead of, hey, art's upset, (laughs) right? So that's code word, passion is code word for art's upset. Um, And what I had to learn to do, the best thing I could do for that team is get the heck out of the room. Mm -hmm. And so when when my team gets quiet in talking about a problem that we're trying to solve, I will actually come up with an excuse to leave the room, to let them talk. And I know without me in the room, they're gonna talk about the real problem, they're gonna talk about a real solution, and they're gonna come with a plan idea on how to implement that mm-hmm. as a team. Now, I will share with leaders listening, I don't go back into that room until I'm invited. Now, do you think I've, I've had to sew <laughs> my tongue on time. a couple times. Yeah, I just I go to the doctor. a lot of time go, out in the hallway. <laughs> can you sew this thing back on, right? Yeah. Um, and, you know, I didn't do that at first. I would give them 15, 20 minutes. Mm-hmm. I'd go back in. Where are, where are you? But now I wait until I'm invited back in, which means the team has already completed their discussion. Sometimes I'm invited back in at 15 minutes, sometimes 30 minutes, sometimes an hour. But you know what? I, I have quiet time. I get a lot done during that time frame because <laughs> I don't have any leaders talking to me because they're all in solving problems. <laughs> And so the best thing we can do as leaders get get out of the way. And when you have a serious challenge, if you're a product manufacturing company like we are, let the people who do the work oh. identify the problem and come up with a fix for the problem. Because um, they know best on what's going on with your product. Yeah. And so it was very difficult as a power leader who always had the answers, always knew where I wanted to go before I even went to the meeting. And my job was to convince Mm. everybody that you need to do it my way. Now I had to leave the room and go, you guys take care of the problem. And let me know when you're ready to talk about it. Now that didn't happen overnight. Yeah. Probably took me eight years to really refine that behavior. Um, But there were a couple of leaders and you know some of the people, it didn't matter how much I wanted their input, how many opportunities I gave people to talk. While the CEO was in the room, there were some people who wouldn't talk, Mm -hmm. regardless of how safe the environment was, because they didn't trust senior leaders in the company they worked in before. So they certainly weren't gonna trust me. Mm -hmm. So get out of the room, let people 
uh, work together, and then we, we created small groups, which created that safe environment where peers can grow together mm-hmm. and talk about their challenges. So, yeah. yeah. So what what happens when you make that uh, when you get out of the way too soon? Is it possible to recover from that? Yeah, it is. Um, what um, I've learned is when the team invites you into the process mm-hmm. uh, because they're having a difficult time, now you're part of the team. Now you're part of the team. And what I found is, for me personally, when I'm invited into the discussion, into the team, I have a totally different mindset. Now I've gone from being the person who's leading the team to now I'm part of the conversation and part of the the problem solving. I can be more effective in that role because I can teach people how I think. Mm -hmm. I can teach people on what I see Mm -hmm. and not just tell them what they see, but hey, I, here's let's think about this perspective over here. Um, it is recoverable, mm-hmm. but you have to have patience with people. Mm-hmm. Um, and still in that environment, you may have, have people who want to talk openly, but when you're invited back into the conversation, you can be more effective as a leader. And that's a very difficult thing for people to accept. And I tell people all the time, I just want to be part of the discussion. I don't want to tell you what to do. Don't come to me and tell me what you're going to do. If it's going to be something that has a wide-ranging impact to the company, let me be part of the conversation mm-hmm. so you can have more of a perspective mm-hmm. from my level about everything in the company than just the small one that you may have in solving the problem. Yeah. 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 Okay. Final question for you this morning. Uh What does it look like in an organization when leaders or managers don't grasp onto the empowerment that's being offered them? Yeah, that's that's an interesting challenge because you can give your power away, and that's Mm -hmm. what servant leadership is all about, giving your power away, but you still have to have someone receive it. Yeah. And so I I was doing a workshop here recently, where everyone in the room had a radio. And I love that environment because I'm a radio person myself. In the example, I borrow a couple of radios and I asked the person to take off the antenna of the radio. Now, can you communicate with someone who has an antenna? Well, if I'm close enough, yeah, you can, but mm-hmm. across town, no, you can't. And I said, well, what if you take your battery out? Can you communicate? No, I can't communicate with anybody. Now, I have an antenna, I'm sending out signals. If the other person doesn't have their antenna up, receiving that signal, it's just gonna float out there in open air. So you have to have people who wanna receive Mm -hmm. what you're willing to give. And you have to determine that discernment, the people who wanna receive what you have to give, they're really your senior leaders in the company. They're directors in my company. Those are the people who want to solve problems. They'll take that on. They'll go make decisions. They want to run the company in a better way. Mm -hmm. Then there are some people who will never grasp onto that power that's being given away from from Mm -hmm. me. And that's okay. It doesn't make them bad people. 
it just says they should be put in a role where that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right? And they'll be happy there. They will be happy there. Yeah. So you give away ownership. You inspire, you equip, and then you get out of the way and let people go do their job. When you give that ownership away and let the leadership term, team determine where they are, um, you're going to have some people that are going to rise to the top, and that's going to be your core leadership team. You're going to have some other people that, hey, just tell me what to do. Mm-hmm. And that's a good role for a manager or a supervisor that, hey, you, you guys will determine and, and solve the problems. And I'll go make it happen. And when you put people in the right roles, mm. right, with that discernment, they're going to be a lot happier. You're going to be a lot happier. And the company's going to get things done mm-hmm. in an amazing way. And so that's how I think about ownership. And, you know, my job today, um, I'm, I, I can now get senior discounts. So... Um, <laughs> Welcome to the club. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm 65 uh, for those listening, and you know my job today is to pass that ownership on, but more importantly, pass my knowledge on, mm-hmm. because I'm in that latter part of my leadership uh, time, and the best thing I can do is pass on all the knowledge I have to people who want to receive it and help them become better leaders in the Trump world. And some people will accept that. Other people won't. Um, And so my hope is that I can share with people how I see things. I've been around Daytron since 97. So 20 some odd years. You've been 20 plus years, right? 26. Yeah, since 96. We have a very interesting perspective of what Daytron is all about and what the leadership team is all about. And my hope, and it happens now, I get to go out and teach servant leadership. Uh, you know, implementing, here's what we learned, here's what worked and what didn't work. Because I have a great leadership team who's taking care of the business. I don't have to be involved in every little thing. Mm -hmm. I focus right now on sales and backlog. I don't need to be involved with operations. I have great people running that part of the business. And I have great people doing the the sales and marketing. They just, in the world we, we live in, our customers like to see the CEO. Yeah. Uh, So, Anyway, did I, did I answer that question? Yes, you okay, did. okay, yes, all right. Did. I kind of get talking about <laughs> things as you can tell. I'm passionate yeah. about it. Yeah. So, in that light, would you like to give us any final thoughts today? Yeah, you know, it's it's for the leaders that are listening. Uh, this is not an easy thing for you to do. And what I've learned over time is. When I step out of the process and let my leaders, who I have inspired and equipped to do their job, when I let them do their job and empower them to do their job, that's that power word again, (laughs) the difference in servant leadership is you're not holding on to your power, you're giving it away. Mm -hmm. And you're letting the people who know how to do the work, you're letting them run the company. And... It is a joy to see people grow. Um, I can't tell you how great it feels when someone actually latches on and and you have full trust in them. I have people on my senior list, I trust them implicitly. Just call me when you need me to break a tie. When two senior execs <laughs> can't agree, I'll, I'll be the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and that allows me to go do things and be part of SLI um, and pass on my knowledge. And really, that's the way senior leaders should be. Let people run the company. Give your power away. And you'll be amazed at what the team can do. So, so give your ownership away, whatever that might be, or give your power away, whatever it is, and then go meet people where they are that you're responsible for, that you influence, and help them grow from where they are and add value to, uh, to them where they are and help them grow and get better. Um, but along the way, you've got to pass on that ownership to your leadership team. Yeah. Because that's when they have now say, this is mine. I've defined it. So I know where I'm starting. And my boss's role is to help me grow. And that's a very, very powerful understanding when leaders working together understand that. Yeah. yeah. Very powerful. And great, great things get accomplished. And we've both been privileged enough to see that we, over the last 20 years plus years. Yep, so, yep. so that's really great. Thank you to Ken Blanchard for yeah, challenging me in absolutely. 2003. And absolutely. thank you for my old public corporation for challenging yeah. me in that way yeah. because I learned a lot in those the two years. The silver lining, right? Yeah. Yeah, for yeah. sure. For sure. Well, thanks so much for joining us. And we'll be back next month to discuss chapter four of the art of leadership, of servant leadership too. Um, just to give you a little update, we've got a holiday sale going on right now. So visit our website, www.servantleadershipinstitute.com, to purchase gifts that are an investment in somebody's future. Yes, absolutely. And those are books, primarily books by Mr. Art Barter. So um, get 20% off site-wide during this holiday sale. And just in closing, um, we'd like to say Merry Christmas to everybody. Absolutely. And have a happy holiday season. And thank you so much for listening and for supporting us the way you have. It's really been a blessing. We couldn't do it without the people that listen and learn. Um, you know, the I, I love the Bed Midler song, Wind Beneath My Wings. Mm. And... When we hear stories of the people who have learned from what we pass on, and we we hear how we've been able to influence their life in a positive way uh, and positively impact them, it put, puts wind, wind under our wings, and that's what keeps us going. So I, I agree with Carol. Thank you guys and gals so much for allowing us to add value to you and put smiles on our face when we do it. Mm. We love it. So <laughs> thank you everybody for spending your time with us this past year and really having a desire to learn and get better as a We really appreciate that. Thanks everyone and thanks Art. Yep. Have a great one, Carol. Bye.